0: Thank you.
1: Hello, and welcome to the second of three One Foot specials where we'll be discussing the 1996 Boxing Day special Starbound, one of the more eerie and peculiar episodes of the show. And some would argue this is peak One Foot in the Gray for its outlandishness approach to storytelling. There's always an explanation for the mysteries and misdemeanours that are set out in front of us, or are there? With me this week to wade through the penultimate feature-length special is South Africa's finest, Matt. Hi, Matt.
2: Welcome back. Thank you very much. Uh, this is my third time on the show now. I'm very honoured that you you having me back again and haven't got rid of me after the last one. You're quite
1: welcome. Yeah, I was like you've previously been... Is it- of the tricks on the roof and the affair of the hollow lady. Uh yeah, that sounds yeah. right. The last episode you came on for I had intentionally uploaded Rearranging the Dust in its place, didn't I? So That's right. <laughs> that was very manic. So a few lucky well, I say lucky listeners. A few listeners got to like a buy one get one free that week. Not that, not that they cost anything. So welcome back. It's good to have you on. Uh this is your the first special you'll be discussing with me. Um but this is also like I said, the penultimate feature And it's like there's only one more after this. Then it's series six, and that's it. Sad times, really.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, y- yeah, you said as you say, it's my, my the first special that I've done, and it's 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 the special that I look forward to the most uh, because yeah, I think it's the one that 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 really appeals to me. But it's also my wife mentioned that it's her favorite episode, right? In the whole in the whole show. No pressure. So then. She's quite excited to to listen to this one. You usually
1: have to make some notes before doing a episode because there's so much that goes on but when it's a feature length christ i have to break it down into a good few evenings of uh, homework because there's so much to talk about as it was the case with the last episode i would have thought this would be broken down into two parters just to spread out the um the number of podcasts i can release i suppose just for one reason alone you know i don't think as many people out there wants to listen to best part of a three hour podcast so we'll break it down since i last spoke to you moved house
2: yeah that's right um I live in Cape Town, and I used to live relatively central in the city, um, but we recently moved sort of uh, a little bit out of the center of city down down by the beach. It's really nice, relaxed sort of atmosphere here, really nice and quiet, and with us working from home a lot yeah, these days. Oh, uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a, really, yeah. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a really nice change of pace for us, not commute, commuting so much. I think I, Well, I commute into town about uh, two days a week, and then the rest right. of the time... We're here and it's, yeah, it's a lovely, quiet neighbourhood. close oh, the- to the beach, lots of nice mountains around here. to go running in and all that type of thing.
1: Probably brought this up before, I can't remember, but one of my favourite uh, mini series, Mad Dogs, they did lots of filming in Cape Town. Are you aware of that show, Mad Dogs?
2: I'm not. I, I'm not, I haven't seen the show, but a lot of uh, international TV series and movies, in fact, I do do a lot of filming around here. And yeah. I think it was about 10 years ago they built... Uh, uh, film studios just outside of town, which I've I've been to before. It was quite interesting to see they were like you know the big stages and yeah uh, every, and there's these uh, various uh, things that have been built for films over the years. So if you drive down the uh, sort of the motorway out of Cape Town, about half half an hour out of town, you drive past these uh, tall wooden-mastered pirate ships which were right. built for Black the TV series Black Sails, and uh, yeah, they okay. sort of sit there now as a permanent Feature of the landscapes, so to speak.
1: Again, I probably asked this before, but have you seen District Nine? Because that's quite prominently filmed in Cape Town area, isn't it? Uh,
2: I think it was mostly filmed in Johannesburg. Oh, okay. uh, it's certainly set it Certainly set in Johannesburg. Right. And yes, I was a I was a film student at the time that that movie came out. Oh. So it was it was quite a quite a big thing for us South African film students to see a sort of relatively large scale action movie like that done in South Africa. By South Great African film. director, although somebody who, who who is now living and working overseas.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the restrictions are they still quite strong out, out there. You said you work from home a lot. Can you get out
2: and about to to sort of do fun stuff? Yeah, yeah, we can get out and about uh, fairly easily over Christmas and New Year. The restrictions <clears throat> they they brought in were a bit heavier. I think just to curb the sort of excesses that go on, like alcohol was banned for the third time since. Uh, oh. since lockdown started so that was a bit of a a sad situation and also the beaches were closed because you tend to get big huge crowds on the Mm. beaches at new year so yeah that that was one restriction that was brought in but yeah it hasn't been so so bad it's been bearable
1: what's the temperature out there at the moment
2: um it's about 25
1: degrees
2: celsius i'd say
1: 25 degrees we were celebrating yeah. getting sort of 12 degrees at the weekend here in um, Little England.
2: Well, on Sunday, we were in the mid-30s, actually.
1: Oh, but I don't envy that, actually, because that's too no. much. Um, no,
2: I, I, I was out running, and it was quite unpleasant. Oh <laughs> Good grief. I uh,
1: For me, 23 degrees blue skies with a gentle breeze is perfect. But still, yeah, 25 degrees. Nice. Well, as I record this, we're just past the year mark of the podcast anniversary
0: congratulations and celebrations
1: which uh wow that's gone pretty quick the vast vast majority of it has been during lockdown but I I had uh, planned it you know quite a few months before managed to get one or two out just before I'm I'm glad to be still doing it if I'm honest because usually I start something and stop like many people do and uh, move on and forget about certain projects but glad to be keeping this going I suppose in a small in a s- small way if, there, if it wasn't lockdown I may well have given up after a series or two but <clears throat> I wouldn't be gone I wouldn't have gone anywhere anyway because having a little family um can't exactly go out all the time which is fine because I, I love I lo- I'm loving life as well but uh, it just allows for more podcast recording time more than usual yeah well then
2: well done on on a year of solid podcasting it's been it's been great to follow and yeah you've You've pretty much raced through almost the whole of the one foot in the grave catalog bar the, yeah. the, the last series now
1: i know i i there's, there's there's only really two ways to do it which is either just you know wade through them all or do a series and have a couple months break do a series have a couple months break um and that way yeah it does stretch out over, over a couple of years but my thinking was if i just keep releasing the content i might get more listeners because i think in this day and age people are quite impatient. If they see something that's available uh, and there's not much content to it, they might go, "It's not worth it." So that's my thinking. It's like if I see a series that's out and there's only one series with six or seven episodes, I' am not that bothered about watching that. That sounds bizarre. I'd rather have a box set of something where there's plenty of material. And it's not always the case. Like there's a couple of podcasts that I released lately that um, are new and you know talk, um, don't slam your podcast if you like two point four children get on that there's the royal ramble for royal family fans they've only just started so i'm obviously listening to them but generally speaking i my thought was just let's get them all released but yeah five series down second of three specials about to be released by the time this is out it's already been released and i would probably be recorded end game but anyway should we crack on so let's uh, talk about starbound These are strange times at Riverbank and beyond. Victor explores his Zen side when he allows an apparent homeless man to take up refuge in his shed. He's furthermore displaying uncharacteristic-like traits as he undertakes yet another part-time job, which brings an unearthly amount of gleam and joy, much to Margaret's horror and suspicion. Meanwhile, to coincide with Victor's sudden change of outlook, a mysterious bright light and missing persons causes shockwaves at Riverbank. So here we are, opening shot. It's another example of an episode where there is no traditional credits no eric idol
2: i would describe it as it it looks like a very very low budget version of aliens introduction
1: yeah Um, i thought you'd have um a good a good opinion on that because you're a you're a film buff aren't you so i was trying to think what other than star wars and and any intergalactic related films what what is this homage to
2: because i'm not really big on film yeah, I'd say that it would start sort of feeling like a homage to Alien, <clears throat> yeah, uh, with the stars and the text coming up, but yeah. then then it's sort of shifts into a homage to 2001 A Space Odyssey. But
1: yeah, that is the one film I could relate most of this to, I suppose, especially this opening bit, yeah, because it looks like it's like a shot of just the universe and the stars pans to the right and it's what we presume to be very briefly a burning star a sun yes
2: and of course it's victor's and, and, bold head <laughs> and funny enough i think at first you think when you see it yes you can t- tell it's supposed to look like a planet or a star or something it almost makes it look like it's they've used something like a tennis ball yes yeah. as, as a stand-in and then it's only as the sort of wrinkles start to come into focus that uh, it's sort of revealed that we're actually looking at it at victor's forehead and uh, i like how the audience laughs sort of start to drift in as, as you see those those wrinkles come into view there
1: was something in the papers in in the early 2000s of um some of the stargazers or uh, astronomers probably put them on the side of comedy fans um thought they could see a victor meldrew formation uh, it was also printed in the Richard webber book so um uh, you'll be able to google that it says Richard Wilson or Victor Meldrew found in in the stars, basically. Um, of course, yeah, it interesting. Yeah, I know. You can, I suppose, with the squillions and squillions of stars out there, you could form formation or formate anything, couldn't you? Any pattern, any image. But I um, it's quite funny You're the same. This is probably the most. What's the phrase? It's the most um, strange episode to date. Or is it? It's it's quite elements of darkness, and it's just a, yeah, pe- a it's, peculiar it's, episode, isn't it?
2: There's eeriness, there's darkness, there's in in a way sort of the most e- extreme sort of sort of criminal violent sort of elements to the to the series that we've seen, and yeah. obviously there's the whole science fiction mysterious side of it, this sort of supernatural, going supernatural, on, yeah, it appears.
1: Yeah, very sci-fi. It is only a few moments of that shot before it's revealed. It's just Victor asleep in Mrs. Warboy's car, and she's collected them from the airport. They've been on a little trip to Germany or to Berlin or something. I think it's Berlin. Hamburg, I think. Hamburg, that's it. Hamburg, It's the weekend away. They've been on a fair few trips in the series, but apart from Algarve, we've never seen them on holiday, have we? There's always the aftermath, isn't it?
2: Always the aftermath, or we've seen them on holiday in the UK. In series two, yeah, I've never seen them overseas that I can think of.
1: No, no, uh, I think in Warm Champagne we saw a photo of Victor being dragged across the sand by Ben, but we we mm-hmm. get very little insight otherwise. Jean's rather helpfully picked them up from the airport. Victor's um, uh, awoken. I think he gets some kind of car sickness, or was he just unwell? I think was it something he'd eaten because he's not feeling too peasy.
2: <laughs> No, he's not feeling well. And I think, um, yeah, something about something must have been something on the plane, really air sickness or car sickness or something like that. I forget if, it, if the actual specific cause was mentioned.
1: Yeah, I think travel sickness is mentioned shortly, actually. I've written a note here. But one of the first great moments of this episode is very much the overlooked blase if that's a phrase, from Gene that they they'd apparently driven... They took a wrong turning on the way back from the airport, ended up in Deptford driving through a Nazi rally. And as she says that, you can see a swastika symbol on Jean's side of the um, car. It looks like, I don't know if it's paint or blood, it looks very um, sinister doesn't it?
2: Uh, a bit of red paint there. And uh, I think, yes, it's a great reveal. There's, there's actually a few uh, of those sort of edits in this episode that we'll sort of pick up on as we go go along. Yeah, we're sort of building up to something and then we cut to a shot that's not necessarily hilarious on its own but through the through the actual cut it sort of gives it that humorous quality
1: yeah and they're just it, it's the fact they're not really making a fuss of it. it it's one of those things that's left the imagination that these three relatively elderly people have had to drive through this horrid rally and they've only been excused because they 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 took Victor to be a skinhead, yes. and he was he apparently slept through this. Then he he wasn't aware of it. He he's he's learning this information as, as at the same time as we are. So no amount of banging on the car win uh, car windows, presumably, um, and and whatnot, He's slept through it. Which is quite
2: impressive. Yeah, I think it's kind of it's kind of typical of Victor to be a little bit oblivious to some of the things that are going on around him for one reason or another, whether he's sort of fast asleep or or just yeah. uh, sort of in his own world. But in this case. Yeah, you can just sleep through sort of such a violent scenario.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I and I love how Mrs. Walboys, you know, just states you could write, you could write a book, couldn't you? I was thinking, oh yes, please, I wouldn't mind some more Renwick material in any kind of form. If he was to write um, a couple of scripts, um, you know, in between series, just to go back, if he could write, because there's, I think it worked out from series five to series six, only about a year has passed or so. In their timeline, in, and in reality, it's five years because ninety-five and it finished two thousand. There's so much more he could have he could have potentially written. I think he's looking at a stage a stage show or something, or he might be looking at writing some kind of spin-off, but in script form. But from what I could read, it is only speculation. Hmm. Victor is sat on Trixie's sack, and apparently, Trixie is flea-free now. So presumably, a dog or a cats a dog is it. Who, who owns tri- who's Trixie?
2: Um, Trixie is presumably Mrs. Warboys' mm. dog. Uh, I don't think yeah. we learn a lot about her, except that uh, obviously Trixie's scent is attractive to other dogs, as we'll learn later.
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. And we hear of uh, Mr. Burkett's died. That is the husband of Mrs. Burkett, who's been mentioned a couple of times in this series. Uh, Mrs. Burkett, now she's looking for a, a dog sitter or someone to look after the the little cocker spaniel she She owns that she can't really look after the dog. I don't, I I can't remember if it was just asking Victor Margaret to look after this dog permanently or just temporarily. Well,
2: we're told that she's looking for a home for Mr. Burkitt's or their cocker spaniel. And Mrs. Burkitt, of course, is a character who's appeared on screen in series one. (laughs) Yeah, locked in the the attic. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Looking for Jumble, which is one of my favorite episodes, and actually yeah so she so whenever her name is mentioned, it always brings back happy memories for mm. me of, her, of our well loved episode
1: yeah it's it's one of those few characters that's regularly mentioned, and we actually yeah like you said, we have seen, we have been introduced to them. The amount of uncles and aunties that we haven't met and we'll never meet is um it's a shame, but I think probably the right thing to do in many ways. So Gene then starts talking about uh, Victor's travel sickness as mentioned, and he doesn't really want to talk about it. Why would no, no one wants to talk about sickness if you're feeling sick, I suppose? I think he says he' hasn't okay. retched, re, he hasn't retched since Basildon. which
2: Yeah, typical insensitivity from Mrs. Warboys, yeah. because of course, when you don't want her to talk about something, she'll go on and on about it for Oh, it's the worst forever, you know. As
1: someone, like,
2: she she talks about her experiences on her flight to LA, and her her holiday comes up sporadically throughout this, yeah. this episode. But, oh, uh, just, shut up! Someone Gene. Sit, sit, sitting next to her being sick and bringing up enchiladas and refried oh. beans, and oh, and of God. course she she mentions the the lack of water tightness of the air sickness bags, which
0: oh my isn't guess. a
2: great image.
1: Yeah, she just like said no tact at all. As, as someone who is um, got a bit of a phobia to say the least of uh, vomit i completely empathize with victor completely and of course he he demands the um or he demands the car to stop they want to pull over this is where we learn that they've just been to um hamburg i believe not not in hamburg like you said yeah uh, and, and
2: uh, little... the, the uh the editor in me noticed a funny little continuity thing i know what, i know what you're gonna say the, yeah they sort of suddenly seem to change from being on a sort of a, a sort of big road with painted lines and all that and suddenly they're in this this narrow country lane surrounded by hedges and all that so of course the editor and me had to had to notice that
1: yeah uh, I didn't really notice it to start with it's only when I read back on people's opinions of the episode there's a there was a few um, observations and this was one of them um but yeah you're quite right maybe it's there was like a little turning just to give the benefit of the doubt to um, Susie Belbin, who's this is the last episode, by the way, isn't it? Susie Belbin's directorship. This is the last time she directs an episode, I believe.
2: OK, I, I didn't know that.
1: No, it'd be uh, Christine Gurnan uh, from Endgame onwards because Susie sadly had to take retirement due to ill health, should have mentioned at the start. So this is ah. like the farewell episode with Susie at the helm. So anyway, Victor has gone off to uh, to puke. Uh, And Margaret recounts a brief tale of uh, Victor, I think he accidentally wandered, not for the first time, into a German brothel uh, to post a a sausage to his brother. And I just couldn't think for the life of me why anyone would post that kind of food to another country, let alone in the same country, to, to New Zealand.
2: A pretty extraordinary thing to do. I think you can only do it for comic value.
1: Well, yeah, it's a funny story to tell. And... He he, accidentally ends up in a brothel in a Chinese in series six, just in Victor fashion, found his way into a brothel. Brilliant. Apparently, he didn't do his hernia any good. This, this, so his vomiting, apart from the travel sickness, might be his hernia might be at play here as well. You never know. Mm. So anyway, Victor has uh, gone off to, like I said, have a puke, a puke in session, and he returns to a bit of solemn music, feeling sorry for himself. And um, oh, by the way, this this hernia issue is apparently being looked at the following morning. So Victor closes his door completely shatters the windows presumably from the, the Nazi rally the car drives off, the camera pans across the field that he's just been sick in to a group of uh, children on a on a field trip, literally on a field trip illustrating the countryside and uh, the teacher comes to check in to see what they've been drawing and each and every one of the little darlings have illustrated Victor spewing uh, into the hedges, leaving the woman quite baffled because obviously she hasn't, she hasn't um, witnessed this, she's just come from the people carrier probably just sat in there with a cigarette as far as i'm concerned because she didn't notice (laughs) someone puking from a distance but yeah all the kids had time to draw victor which is very very funny very good
2: and of course because all the the kids i mean it's not exactly a a realistic likeness of of an old man vomiting the the pictures have a sort of a strange macabre quality of one looks like he's vomiting out blood and the other one looks like his intestines are coming out of his mouth at a all sorts of craziness going on there. Certainly uh, the teacher must must be wondering what, what's got into all these kids. I suppose it's in line with the
1: mystery of the show because it's a bit alien isn't it? It's a bit... What we're about to um, witness is it's mystery and, and it's a bit of a weird enigma about this episode. So it's a bit of a mini foreshadowing and in a way. But if you're watching this for the first time, you, you don't know that, of course. Now back at the Meldrews, Gene's tr- trying to comfort Victor about the possible hernia operation um, he's got. Um, apart from, again, not putting his mind at ease, talking about the possible removal of a testicle.
0: A hernia repair is one of the simplest operations there is. The only worry is if, if they have to take one of your testicles away at the same <laughs> time. Because
1: <laughs> I think she knew someone who had to have a testicle move due to the complications of the hernia operation they had. And um, she talks about, you know, don't worry if that's the case, you can get an art- artificial one put in. Talking about artificial testicles, like, they're on special offer.
0: You can always have an artificial one put in. <laughs> when I was in Los Angeles, there was a clinic in Beverly Hills advertising them in the supermarkets. $65 each plus tax. <laughs> or three for 150 <laughs>
2: Apparently in LA you can get a good deal on a set of three of them in a supermarket or something.
1: Hitler would be, be ad- ad-
2: advertised in a supermarket.
1: Yeah, like the, yeah, like there's a sale on at Currys or something. Jean departs yeah. and she's just she's left, um, leaving Victor even more paranoid than he was before. Victor spots um, the kitchen bins not being emptied, so that's a reason for him to uh, exit the kitchen. Um, Margaret poor Margaret's left to lug the suitcases upstairs which is funny it's not funny for her but it's funny that her sarcasm that comes from that she, you know don't mind me I'll, I'll, I'll lug it all up myself which Victor does hear this doesn't he he's like, well I've got to go careful I've got this hernia um, issue so I sort of understand yeah. why he's not
2: yeah Margaret's certainly not uh, very pleased about it though But yeah, I think it's understandable in the circumstances.
1: Meanwhile, Victor, he's having a little wander around the living room, probably checking in on the fish. We've still got the fish tank, which is good. They're still alive, unless he's brought many more since his first purchase. As he's wandering around the living room, there's a stranger that's walked in the back door. Presumably a homeless gentleman, sunglasses, dressed almost all in black, filling up an empty milk bottle of squash. I think it's just another example of the absurdity of this show. Just like something yeah. like this casual happening to someone's life.
2: Another example of somebody sort of casually walking into the Meldrew's back door. It seems to happen a lot.
1: Yeah, like Nick in the, the fridge. Series. Yeah, I think the episode we recorded, wasn't it? A Fair of the Holiday Day, just.
2: That's right, yeah.
1: In and out in seconds. By the way, what the hell was going on with the wallpaper in the Meldry's house? They've gone backwards, haven't they? Because the decor is like series one. Um, but then yes. series six is back again to sort of brightness and mostly white walls. Series 5 did Yes,
2: happen. I had noticed on this viewing I, I thought the wallpaper didn't seem like it, it was consistent with the episodes that preceded it and yeah, yeah it's actually a long time since I've seen Endgame so I, I couldn't remember what came after.
1: Yeah, it's um just I think a lot of people would have spotted this. It's just bit of a strange one i don't know why that continuity can't be there with the same wallpaper everything else is the same isn't it not against the realms of possibility that people will change their minds quickly and revert back to what they used to have but victor spots the presumably homeless man fill up the rest of his bottle and he walks out victor's flubbergasted isn't he he doesn't know what to say and this person goes all the way to the bottom of their garden into the shed looks like he's been um possibly living there for a short while whilst they've been away
2: he does yes and um I, one of the things I little things I spotted when he was going to the shed was I see there's still a garden gnome surviving in the backyard. I think it's one of the ones from,
1: from oh, who's listening. Well spotted. I don't know if I spotted that or not. Oh, yeah. So it is. It could be the surviving one. That's probably done on purpose, I reckon. I didn't yeah. really take that into account. It's obviously focused on... Because the shed's got a little window, isn't it? So you can see through and you can see the bloke sat down. We know who this actor is, but it's probably better to not mention it till later just... 'Cause you know, we can introduce it because we don't we don't know at the time. He's got his sunnies on. He's quite yeah. well well covered, isn't
2: he? He is. And I I enjoyed the it, it's quite an interesting effect when he's sitting there drinking his orange squash. It's it's got a it's got an almost unnatural glow to it. It reminded me a bit of Peckham Spring Water.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does look it, it does look um most drinks from a glass bottle are quite always appealing. Like a, a, a Coca-Cola in a glass bottle is always lovely. A beer in a glass bottle is always nice. And even orange squash looked quite appetising. Margaret comes downstairs, fuming at Jean's constant talk of her LA holiday. I don't know, what period in time has, has Jean been to America, do you think? Is she, is she just gallivanting since she's uh, divorced Chris? Or uh, what, what's the story there, do you think?
2: Yeah, I haven't, I haven't given that any thought. Uh, uh, no, I suppose no, it's not, not really she, important. She's, she's she's probably got a bit of freedom she can get around a bit have a bit of uh leisure time
1: yeah spending that divorce money wisely she, she's earned it i think vict absolutely dumbfounded tells margaret about the uh, the man in the shed which margaret can't quite believe it until she sees it for herself and this <laughs> this bloke just casually waves back doesn't he he's got not really any shame at this yeah not-
2: he gives him a gives him a thumbs up and victor yeah. sort of waves waves back at him quite Pathetically.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's very. This is very out of character for Victor because this because he is going to be acting even more weird later on. But this is Victor at his lowest at the minute because he he's always grumpy like in nature, rightly or wrongly, always grumpy. He's got this impending operation, a potential operation, and now he spotted someone who's clearly been breaking into their house, and he's pretty relaxed about it. Um, You'd expect
2: him to be like a, a charging rhino or a or a bull or something normally in this type of situation but he's he's kind of sort of on the back foot uh, yeah and it's it's margaret who, who's sort of like prodding him to to go out there and sort it out she seems she wants nothing to do with it she yeah she mentions that uh she she doesn't want a guard and fork in the ribs but for some reason it's okay for victor
1: yeah, she's always sort of wanting to hide behind Victor, just like, come on, yeah, you you go, you deal with it. And then so Victor does. I think he does go outside, doesn't he? In the, in this moment, Victor comes it... back in straight away, doesn't he? To say, what do you mean, fork in the ribs? And yeah, he's he really doesn't want to face this. This person in the shed doesn't come across at the moment as threatening. Just someone very well. They've certainly tried their luck, and I can't. I don't want to say to that. I just can't work out why Victor wouldn't go crazy or just given some verbal at the very least. don't want to dwell on it too much longer, but it's just one of those strange yeah. things.
2: Must must just be something to do with Victor's state of mind and feeling yeah. sick and being worried.
1: Yeah. So the phone rings and it's Pippa checking in. They're still keeping in touch. They're decorating their hideously brown wall. So we get like a, a switchback between shots. So we, you know, we're seeing Margaret and Pippa with Patrick in the background decorating it's definitely in need of um a lick of paint as he said if you look closely i mean it's a really bad job that patrick's done there but we won't blame patrick we'll blame the crew who was the props crew it looks like they've they're arranging some kind of uh, meetup like a meal and it's not really quite clear when and where but they're going to have something to eat together and in the background i mean very quickly uh, patrick's managed to paint on the wall uh, tell her i've got typhus Typhus, if I pronounced that correctly.
2: Yeah, tell her I've got Typhus. And uh, clearly Patrick and I suspect no doubt Victor as well. are not, probably not the happiest that the the wives seem to be intent on continuing some sort of social relationship. Patrick says he thought they'd move to a Meldrew free zone.
1: One of the big, for me, one of the biggest observations I could talk about was Patrick's memory is quite short here. His life was saved by Victor in the last year and he still sees Victor as a bit of a um, menace to his life, even though they moved out. So I thought that's a semi-interesting that he's still a, Victor still grates on him, definitely grates on him more than he grates on Victor. But the, the other purpose of the call is just saying that there's um, Patrick's got a new job. He's got some sort of meeting with his new manager just to see if this contract will be extended a place called Ravens Hill, which is apparently quite swish. Um, I spoke about in the last episode it feels like they've moved miles and miles away like quite a long drive but the way she talks about Ravens Hill to to Margaret, it's somewhere quite known in the area, quite a posh estate house, so they're obviously not that far away just finalises their plans, they're going to be meeting on a Thursday night, that is when we see the the graffiti moment I've not quite described that in um, chronological order there, but yeah 7.30 to eat for 8 o'clock, that's all we know once Margaret's finished the call, she heads into the kitchen to see uh, Victor opening a pack of biscuits. Uh, very charitable Victor. I don't know if he's just scared or feeling charitable or both. But I think he's, he is quite sympathetic. This um, homeless person hasn't eaten for three days, apparently. Which, if he's been letting himself into the Meldry's house, how has he not been eating from anything from the uh, cupboards or fridge? Unless there was nothing in there, because when you go on holiday... You, I, we tend to leave next to nothing in. Margaret is not too pleased about this. So her line of negotiation is... She's
0: not having my posters.
1: I had to look up. I haven't heard of... I might have. Have I heard of 50 posters? I wasn't too sure. I didn't recognise them.
2: Ah, OK. I, I thought I was going to lean on your knowledge of uh, British cookies, yeah.
1: Boasters, or no.
2: Biscuits, I should say. I
1: just 50-50 whether I've heard of them or, or not. They obviously were a thing in the 1990s. So she swaps the biscuits for something presumably cheaper, struts off, and Victor gets a sneaky um, apple in, give to the homeless chap. Very, very compassionate of him, I think. Very compassionate.
2: Yeah, I suspect he's possibly been a bit, uh, what's the word, gullible, ex- accepting the, the man in the shed's story, because, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the man in the shed has eaten something in the last three days. If not from the Meldrews, then he seems like a resourceful sort of guy.
1: Some people might do what Victor's doing, but I think all the same, they probably would have rang someone by now to to get them, to send them on the way. He's authorised this person to stay till at least the next day. So to say at least is quite worrying because that could be at least a few more days. As Victor heads out, Margaret's sort of peeking through the, the curtains of the back door. She sort of shudders to herself, doesn't she? I think she's feeling probably understandably uncomfortable that there's there's a man living in the shed. So I, I can't blame her all the same, even if she's not being no, the most charitable.
2: No, it's very understandable. Um, I don't know what, what uh, crime is like in their neighbourhood, but certainly it would be a very alarming thing.
1: Yeah, I think so. Us, yeah, Victor retrieves the post, having a little difficulty picking up the um, the mail due to the hernia problem. I think this might be later in the day or the next day at the very least. He's having a good old fidget in his pockets and Margaret snaps at him to leave it alone
0: alone stand there kneading it like a lump of puff pastry you'll make it work
2: quite a bit of discomfort for for victor
1: yeah he's, he's he really is bemoaning Jean's scaremongering about the surgery i do i do love his victor's anguish and dwelling on this sort of thing it's, it fits perfectly with this type of comedy we're seeing and it is a constant in his life isn't it? when it comes to medical dilemmas it's just he, it brings out the best of him as a character Not for poor old Victor in his world mind.
2: No, it's it's a great thing a character who's sort of a hypochondriac, uh, always worried about that there's something wrong with them. It sort of like comes up in some classic, Mm. like old Woody Allen movies and stuff like that. He often played like a a hypochondriac character who was thought he was dying of cancer or or something like that. And Victor's also like seems a bit suspicious of the the surgeons. He makes a comment about them. Possibly wanting your bits for conquer practice or something
1: <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, he's not, he's he is a very suspicious person when it comes to anyone go near him. I suppose in that in that uh, in that regard. Well, he's already had
2: his he's already had his pubic hair shaved by some sort of a madman, so he's got yeah. reason to be worried about the sort of surgery in the genital area.
1: That's true, and he has a scare in series six, doesn't he? When he um he thinks there might be some sort of bowel.
2: That's well, right, and yeah.
1: bowel cancer, but they don't really t- mention this that word. But it turns out to be something completely the opposite. There's a bit really of a humorous, almost i am say, double entendre with the cross communication thing when Margaret's talking about Victor taking his car in for the MOT and, and to make sure he fill, fills up his bottle before he leaves. I don't know if there was that was purposely done or not. Could be reading into it. Um, and Victor, meanwhile, notices all the mail is addressed to them. Bar one. I- Do not
0: believe it!
2: (laughs) I do not... Have
0: you seen this? Seen what? These applications to apply for an American Express card we get every couple of months. They've only sent us three this time. Look, Victor Meldrew, Margaret Meldrew, and the man in the shed. (laughs) Don't
1: be utterly ridiculous. And one of them being the man in the shed fantastic absurdity i mean word must have got about that there's i think the whole neighborhood knows the Meldrews are housing a homeless person in the shed for some mail company to address it to them i mean it would never happen of course but he's still defending him though isn't he he's still convinced he said he says i don't suppose he chose to be homeless or something
2: yes um, i mean yeah it's a it's a bizarre situation i mean even for me i mean we don't even we barely even have a post system in this country
1: anymore oh really
2: like you, you don't expect to get a letter at all
1: no so
2: the idea of 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 um sort of junk mail arriving in triplicate including one for the man in the shed is is just is hilarious
1: margaret points out um the man in the shed has been clipping his toenails with the secateurs again so she really is not happy with this person staying there if he's using it as a makeshift bathroom she vows to do something about it I think she proceeds to make a phone call before that scene ends. Uh, the following scene, the next scene, we're in the trenches car. Pippa's driving Patrick to Ravens Hill. And she's quite encouraging of Patrick to uh, allow himself to be sexually molested, basically. Um, this is a far cry from the Pippa from Wisdom of the Witch, who is very jealous of his um, him having a secretary. But because there is obviously an endgame of money, she wants him to do what it takes to get this contract, so probably so they can live some sort of lux- luxurious lifestyle. So I thought that was quite. I um... like her.
2: I like her line: uh, "Just turn the other cheek." Uh, classic. Yeah. <laughs> little pun there. Double entendre and, uh, again. Yeah. yeah. Turn the other cheek. Plenty of time. Plenty of time to file for sexual harassment once she's renewed your contract.
1: But they turn up to this Ravens Hill. For all I know, this film location could have been in a Jonathan Creek episode. It looks familiar. But this is Patrick's um, boss's house, I I presume. It is a obviously it's a house, but whether she, this, she uses she's that rich, she uses this as a place of work. I don't know. But we see a woman struggling to retrieve a spare time from the boot of a car. And um, Pippa asked this particular lady, who's played by the Lucy Davis from The Office, mm. the lovely Lucy Davis playing a housekeeper called Mrs Blanchard. It's an interesting
2: uh, casting for a housekeeper. I mean, when I hear a name of a character like Mrs Blanchard, I sort of imagine... I don't know if you know as time goes by, uh, but there's a character in that called Mrs Bale who's played by Janet Henfrey who was in Hearts of Darkness. She played the head of that old age home oh, that yeah. catches Victor in the shower. So yeah. she's she's always my, the, my model in my head for what a, a housekeeper with a name like Mrs Blanchard looks like. So obviously... For it to be yeah. Lucy Davis is is quite a quite a sort of interesting bit of casting.
1: Well, yeah, I mean this is a good five years before The Office, and um, she does. I mean, she looks very youthful as you'd expect, and it's just Remick all over. He's 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 written this housekeeper to be anything but a housekeeper. So she looks like a jack of all trades, handy woman, doing pretty much everything on this estate. And she's not exactly dressed appropriately with her ankle-length summer skirt and um, sort of blouse cardigan. But power to the to the women—they're they're doing what supposedly men do. And she's, um, yeah, she's just doing a bit of heavy lifting. And she says, "Finella." Well, no, it's the manager is called, or the owner, or P- Patrick's manager, should I say, is called Fenella Fortune. Finella—I don't think I've ever heard of that name before, personally. Um, well, well, it made me
2: think of um, there's an there's an actress called Finella Fielding who acted in Carry On Screaming. Okay. So whenever I I hear Fenella Fenella Fielding and Vanilla Fortune, I always get the two mixed up. I can't remember who's who.
1: No, I I didn't make that link personally. Um, But this Mrs Blanchard's lovely, she directs them to Fanella. I think Fanella shows her face. This is played by Rula Lenska. Basically treats um, Patrick like her own personal bitch, doesn't she?
2: Yeah, sort of of classic gravelly man-eater sort of voice that she's got there.
1: And this is the f- the first of the sort of weirdness happens now because Patrick gets semi-distracted by the moon and stars wind chime. And there's a bit yes. of... Yeah, and he, he just stares at it for some reason, like like it's weird.
2: Yeah, it's kind of an odd moment. And he's, he's in, in a set, similar to, way to how Victor is sort of on the back foot and a little bit disorientated and confused with his surrounding... Um, mm. Patrick's sort of a, in a similar situation here, and the fact that obviously he's being somewhat dominated by this uh, Finella Fortune character, yeah, again, it sort of it puts him at a disadvantage, and he's he's kind of like a, a fish out of water.
1: Mm. The way he is around Finella is the way, like the, the way he is around Victor. That's the bottom line. And they're taken to the the large summer house, which to me, is look, basically a greenhouse, isn't it? patrick is shown to the, the boss so yeah this is ruler lenska um she she makes them all wait seeming, seemingly seemingly for, for no reason a bit like how david brent does i think in one episode i think you watched the office just to, so he looks important for a minute he sort of pretty much does nothing on the keyboard and she seemingly does that she's making a few notes and mrs blanchard it's like she's a schoolgirl doing detention she's like a rabbit in headlights around fenella and she's asked to sort out the fire and cut up some logs and crack on with it. And lunch is at 1.30, so she's she's sent on her way. This summer house was only put, built a couple of weeks ago, we're told. Um, she's very controlling and assertive in nature, isn't she, this Fenella? Ordering Pippa just to basically leave for, while the, the grown-ups do all the talking and even ask her to take Uncle Louis out. So this is elderly chap is asleep in his wheelchair Asked to be pushed around. Pippa more than happily obliges with this. Patrick's got that look on his face as if to say, please don't leave me because he's he's not feeling too comfortable. Imagine this was the other way around. If it was a, a bloke boss and a female employee, I think it'd be um even more dodgy, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, certainly it's this it's the type of thing that's very much uh, on the agenda these days is mm. is that is that type of relationship. But uh yeah, Pippa Sort of seems more happy enough to to sort of go off and leave them alone and yeah take yeah. Uncle Louie for a walk. Either she's I don't know if she she doesn't care or she's sort of blissfully unaware of the danger that's danger in inverted commas as opposed to Patrick by by this aggressive aggressively sexual woman.
1: Yeah, um, but she's sort of
2: happy to leave them to get on with it. I, I suppose she's got as we mentioned before the the idea of the extension of the contract that kind of overrides all other considerations.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And she knows that Patrick hasn't got a thing for his boss. I think with the secretary and Wisdom of the Witch, it was a younger lady sort of under his wing, so she felt more threatened, whereas this is uh, the boss. and so He can't muck about with the boss. He needs to get his head down. Uh, that didn't, I didn't mean for that to sound how it did. He needs to uh, do as he's told, but I think it's a little bit it is very dark that you know, he's basically he has to be touched up to her liking in order to um, keep his job. As this, um... It's funny, but like you said, the current climate, and quite rightly, there's lots of dodgy stuff going on for years now. Again, I don't mean to get political, but it does uh, ring It rings um, quite true to recent times. What is great, if Patrick's sporting his two Ronnie's glasses now, his um, specs are on, ready to get down to work. And then we get a cut of Mrs. Blanchard is chainsawing a tree, which is it's funny because she, although she was asked to sort out the fire, you don't, you don't expect her to be chainsawing logs. You just expect her to be putting a few logs by the fire. So she really is the handy woman of the the estate.
2: Yeah, and she's quite impressive with her her physical skills and her comfortableness with a chainsaw. I wouldn't be that comfortable with a chainsaw myself.
1: No. I no, but she's definitely not dressed appropriately though. That long dress is going to get caught in something, isn't it?
2: Yes, and funny enough, like it was. A, I don't know if you know the the sort of the thing when you when you've seen a, a film or something a long time ago, and you always have. You have a, sometimes a a picture in your head that somebody was a certain way, and then you go back and watch it, and you realize I actually I don't know where that idea came from, but I always had it in my head that she was pregnant lucy davis in this but going back and watching it now i don't think she, she's necessarily pregnant it's just her loose footing yeah clothes. But no it, possibly for some reason, it was back in the back of my head i always thought she was pregnant in this
1: no i i can't say i thought that but i understand the notion of what you're saying all the same we cut to the Meldridge garden there's a it's a quick scene cutaway really to a, a policeman moving this homeless person along he's um margaret does look quite remorseful now doesn't she 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 feels a little... It, to me, she looked a bit ashamed at calling the policeman to, to shimmy this guy on, but I guess it had to be done, and you can tell that the homeless guy is suddenly a little bit less chilled out and a bit sort of standoffish with the with the policeman, and he he's ushered out, and that's that. That garden looks suddenly really wide, doesn't it? I've never... The shot of that, of the shed at the bottom and the, the big green at the bottom... It just looks much wider than previous episodes. I, I press this purely an angle thing, but I don't know if you took that on board or not.
2: The, I didn't way- notice that, but but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, depending on what lens you use on the camera, it can, it can create a very different impression. I don't know if they were using an extremely wide lens or something like that.
1: Yeah, it could be, actually. It could be. And that garden name is still there. I, I suppose because this is a Christmas special i mean renwick doesn't really do christmas themed christmas specials does he so wisdom of the witch i suppose he he put this snow element in probably to to give it a Christmassy feel this is not there's nothing Christmassy about this apart from that garden names maybe he was there's thinking- also
2: there's uh, christmas presents in the cupboard which come up later
1: oh yes yeah, so that's, that's, yeah. The,
2: that's the one christmas thing i picked up on
1: that's the yeah, just reminded me so there's only two things there that I very Renwick's probably like, look, I'll reference Christmas, but it is not a Christmas special in that way. Anyway, back to the greenhouse at Ravens Hill. Just before we cut away from these, uh, the greenhouse, you notice Vanilla put, popping her hand on the seat, sort of enticing a nervous Patrick. But we're back there now. Pippa's seen pushing Uncle Louis across the lawn. That can't be an easy surface, that. I pushed old ladies in the wheelchair in a, a previous job many years ago, and sometimes they wanted to go on lawns and parks and it's just like, that is so uneven.
2: I used to, my, my grandfather lived with us for a while and he was he was in a wheelchair at one point and we had to, a, a lit, we had the, the steepest uh, grass lawn you could possibly hope to try and pull somebody in a wheelchair out, but uneven and all that. So yeah, it's, it's not fun.
1: Pippa makes a way into the summer house to see how they're getting on. The image we have now, you can, one can only wonder what's going on. Patrick's glasses are steamed up, lipstick marks all over his face. Most of his shirt bar, the top button, is been ripped open. Some of the um fruit and glasses of drink have been spilt. Some of the plants behind them sort of ruffled a bit. And Pippa sort of like leaves them as if to say, No, they're still working here. What the hell happened? Has she just pounced on him and done the deed? Or is it just a huge snog and that's it? I don't know. It's, it's unfortunately left. Well,. Fortunately or unfortunately, it's left to the imagination, isn't it?
2: It is. And of course, it's, it's very sort of slapsticky makeup and, and uh, this sort of steamy glass effect. Is, is it, we're sort of not supposed to take it too seriously no. by the way it's presented. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a funny image. And uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of obviously clear to us what more or less what's been going on. But obviously no details.
1: I'll say um, the actress, she's quite an attractive lady, isn't she? I mean, she's supposedly getting on a bit there, but just a shallow comment from me for a minute there. I just had to... It just looks... I don't know how old she's supposed to be, that actress. Probably, I bet she's older than she than she looks, if that makes sense. Because I know that's the case. I mean, she starred in so many things, isn't she? I mean, she just doesn't seem to age. I think she's supposed to be a... I don't know. I, I haven't looked it up. There's that,
2: there's that type of, of actress that or character or person that... Is kind of like that uh mature slightly older woman who's who's kind of tries to be very attractive or is very mm. attractive to to the sort of the younger man
1: finella is praising mrs blanchard's efforts except for like the gardening not really going so well she's therefore hired a part-time helper finella for reveals this to be would you add in a maneuver, mr meldrew of all people she can't remember when he's joining so mrs blanchard said oh he's coming, I think, Thursday or Friday, I think she says. So this does bring a little bit of further distress to Patrick as he we hear him drop his... Well, he's been handed a glass of wine, should I say. You can hear him drop that glass of wine. His day's going from bad to worse.
2: Yeah, he's certainly not moved to a mildew-free zone.
1: No, not at all. And you're wondering at this point, that's a small world. How on earth has he got that job? But we'll we'll find out more shortly. The scene ends there. Uh, we're in back in Patrick and Pippa's car. Patrick summarising events. He's Oh, he's just. I think does he say he's been sexually molested on a bed of tomatoes for nothing, or you know he, he, he does, like yes. he's, yeah he's um
2: and he he feels like he's been sort of targeted by by Victor no matter where he goes he can't get away from him and says that the Pentagon must have used him as some sort of prototype for the Patriot missile. This is like a, a perfect homing device, Victor. Wherever Patrick goes, Victor will somehow land up there as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, very ungrateful at this moment. Like, his life was saved not long ago. Um, Unless there's more Meldrew, Trench shenanigans that have happened in the the space of time from wisdom to now, as far as I can see, that Patrick should forgive Victor forevermore. I know, I suppose, although his life was saved, all their possessions were sold to a um, house clearance firm by mistake. That was the main plot of the last episode. So perhaps he's, he can't quite forgive him for that, but that's not really brought up again.
2: I think if you if you if you add up the uh, all the the bad things that Patrick perceives have happened to him as a result of Victor and weigh it up against what good Victor may have done just well, to help help Patrick, you, you never know what what the balance is in Patrick's eyes. It's probably if if it was. Getting anywhere close to being balanced, is probably still slightly yeah. on the negative side towards Victor.
1: Well, apart from the expensive bottle of wine falling in the tarmac drive, this is off the top of my head uh, now. Um,
2: the, there was the the cow that destroyed their conservatory.
1: Yeah, multiple attempts they at tried to sell the house. That was basically indirectly Victor's fault. I know it's a weird one. And then, but you know that uh, that's I think the man in the long black coat. I think where. Victor and Margaret come to his aid when Pippa's in hospital after drink driving a bus and running over an accident. I think, I don't know if she killed someone else by mistake, I don't know. So he's been there for him when it matters, this is the strange thing.
2: I wouldn't go so far as calling Patrick reasonable.
1: No, no, he's um, just forever sneers down at Victor, doesn't he? It's it's very frustrating.
2: Pippa asks, how can Victor doing some gardening be... Be a problem to, to Patrick, and Patrick responds, living on the same planet as Victor is a problem, like playing chess with death, which is a nice, for a film, Buffett's a nice little allusion to Ingmar Bergman's classic film, The Seventh Seal, where the sort of the famous image of, of that film is the, the main character playing chess with the sort of a Grim Reaper type of character.
1: And it's also funny that they were playing, not chess, but they were playing a ball game in Wisdom the Witch the previous episode. I think it was Backgammon or something. And that was a, a very rare moment where they were getting on, which was shortly before they found out that Victor had cocked up the house clearance and house removal firm thing that happened. Victor is now on the bus because he's obviously dropped his car off at the garage. While sat on the bus, there are three girls seemingly giggling at him, which you feel a bit sorry for him, really. But it turns out his head is perfectly placed in a comedy, large, like, silhouette of a big woman. Like, there's, like, three drawings, and there are three illustrations of caricature type large women. So Victor's head's perfectly above the neck of one of these large women so that's what the girls are laughing at which victor wouldn't know unless he does know and because he obviously hopped on that bus he might not have taken in the surroundings it's very amusing visual as he gets off the bus heading home presumably walking down riverbank and he's stopped by one of the neighbors i'd love to know who this neighbor is Um, it might be someone that they mentioned before but she gives him like a green bag or something and we're not quite sure what it is but it remains a mystery till he gets home
2: yeah, I'm not sure who the who the person was, but yeah, interesting little development that he's being given this plastic bag of stuff.
1: Yeah, as he arrives home, and Margaret is on the phone. She's on on the phone an awful lot lately. Victor is a bit perplexed at what's in this bag. When he opens it, it appears to be some sort of strapping, some sort of hoister strapping corset-y thing. I mean, he's completely dumbfounded by this. Um Mrs. Wallboys is casually sat in the living room, isn't she, and asks after him. A little bit of a, a dig by Victor, those who run the NHS waiting list, because I think he says in his own words, something along the lines of, it'll be a race against time to get a bed before the cockroaches take over the earth. So NHS issues even back then um, in 1996. So he is not going to get his hernia looked at anytime soon, it seems.
2: No, <laughs> he also had to leave his car in the garage for repairs, hasn't he?
1: A good seven issues with his car, to fix So um, i think the last car he owned was a sierra so presumably he's still got that sierra probably not for much longer and he has a <laughs> he goes into the kitchen to have a bit of a fiddle and he, he can't quite um leave his balls alone at this point
2: like he's got a pumpkin in his underpants i like think he says at one point
1: poor bugger and margaret calls out to victor to say mrs blanchard's confirmed the gardening job and somehow margaret's negotiated the start time at 12 o'clock i don't know if that's for her to do if if you've been offered a job i don't think you negotiate a start time usually but there you go just nitpicking surely he knows about i think i wrote down it doesn't seem like i feel like he's already been told about this job unless the call was just the start time because in the previous scene it's mentioned that he was being offered this uh part-time job so i don't quite get that it might just be the start time it's not a huge deal i just So making these notes, you get so picky with the information you presented.
2: (laughs) I didn't even make note of that one.
1: (laughs) No, well, you're not as pathetic as I am with this sort of thing. I think Victor's acknowledged that the homeless chap's gone now. This is where Mrs. Warboys tries to appeal to Victor's good nature, and he's already displayed plenty of good nature in this episode. What's happened next, then, with this uh, unusual bag of items that Victor's been handed?
2: Well, not only has he been given... This strange surgical device by the lady on the street, but he's also given another one by Mrs. Warboys, um, and it's not something that I'm familiar with. But obviously, it's a it's a truss which is used to sort of uh, strap and support a hernia, and it, it, it sort of gets Victor's dander up a bit because then he he sort of picks up the phone and goes off on this rant of "Hello, Victor Maldu, Surgical Support Recycling Centre here." Hello
0: surgical support recycling center here <laughs> just to let you know we accept all forms of unwanted medical appliance cast off corsets elasticated stockings false arms there's no one in just stick them through the letterbox we can't get enough of them <laughs> thank you very much it's strange love-
2: that he'd uh, he'd feel the need to physically pick up the phone and go through the whole the whole thing but that's Victor for you well he,
1: he he doesn't do sarcasm by halves does he so that that it fits in line with his character to do that, I think. Meanwhile, on the back of that rant, Mrs. wallboys tries to appeal to his good nature, which I've said has been very much on show. She's persu- trying to persuade him to look after this cocker spaniel, or at least home the cocker spaniel, and he is not having any of it.
2: No, thank you, Mrs. wallboys
1: No, thank you, Mrs. wallboys he repeats.
2: Yeah, in, in. I think several times, and I love the way he says the line, I do not want a dog or something like that, there's like this dramatic pause (laughs) before he says a dog, Yeah, I thought that was an unusual delivery yeah, it's
1: delivered a bit strange, it's almost like as an actor he'd almost forgotten his line or in character he was purposely playing this this part where he just doesn't know how to deliver it as Victor Meldrew, he maybe wanted to say something a bit more um, blue, but he kept it simple but you know, in true comedy U turn fashion style. We instantly on the back of him say no. We instantly see him building a dog house in the garden. Quite a good job, really. He's uh, not known to be the best at woodwork, constructing things, but it looks pretty solid, doesn't it?
2: No, he's done all right there. And yeah, again, a classic bit of that sort of comedic editing where the sudden cut from he doesn't want a dog to next minute he's building a, a kennel. And um, yeah, it's not a funny image in itself necessarily, but that the context of the previous shot and that cut
1: mm.
2: it works really well
1: yeah it's carpentry scales of all to see margaret i think she, she gives a little seal of approval don't she a little smile sort of almost yeah she she doesn't
2: normally she doesn't normally approve so much of victor's handiwork no whether it's a a, a makeshift child's toy or a sitcom script she's, she's usually quite dismissive of his efforts
1: she presumably doesn't mind having a dog then because mrs warboys hasn't asked uh, jean so hasn't asked Margaret? Has she? It's just getting past Victor. Was the um? Challenge yeah. who presumably Margaret was um okay about it.
2: Yeah. Throughout anything to do with the dog in this episode, now or later, Margaret's sort of very quiet and doesn't want to get involved.
1: No, that's probably wise for now as well. Um, Mr. Sweeney, yeah, greets Victor from his garden. Good morning, Mr. Meldrew. Uh, and amongst the many ways he's been able to comically. Intrude Victor's privacy in the past. This is probably for me one of the best. So we've had him in the past simply walking into the garden or moving the gate further down and swinging it open with a rope. But this time he's managed to modify the fence so, with a turn of a handle, the panel sort of rotate sort of ninety degrees to reveal Mister Sweeney uh, being visible through the sh- uh, the shed paneling. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like it's a. It's a bit like a, a sort of
2: Venetian blind on its side.
1: Yeah, and, uh, that's right. Yeah, it's,
2: it's an ele- it's an elaborate bit of backyard engineering, I have to say, but. Yeah. Uh, credit to mr swaney for making it work
1: used to think he hasn't got any right to do that surely but he he might own those that fence like on the deeds so he probably is allowed to do that even if it means making a door i don't know it feels like that's his um his legal argument if it ever came to it but if you see that he's holding a watering can with the longest head i've ever seen it's absolutely huge i think he's just trying to kill off some old uh, wheat
2: dandelions he says
1: Yeah, and Victor does challenge why the fence panels have been modified. It's justified by Mr. Sweeney that it's due to the lack of sun that shines into a part of his garden. I think on his sweet Williams. I never heard of sweet Williams before. I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm not green fingered. I don't. I'm not exactly a florist. Margaret would know, obviously.
2: She would. Yes, Uh, but yeah, I looked it up. They're sort of like little. Little flowers. I forget what colour they are. I think they're like white and purple or something like that. I could be remembering it wrong.
1: I'll take your word for it. Mr. Sweeney talks about how his mum is. I just love that bit of interaction where, whether it's Victor or Margaret, when they look up to the window and there's no one there. It was a, a glimpse of that again, where they they probably probably never met or seen his mum. I, I can I can only presume, but
2: M- Margaret Margaret has uh, as I recall, oh
1: yeah she went up to she goes
2: into the house to. To, I forget what, what the reason was, but but yeah, she she goes up to yeah, she tends to, help, to help so to
1: yeah, yeah, I think I remember speculating that before and then being corrected on that. But Mr. Swaney, um, he does talk about how his mum is, and apparently she thinks she's being kidnapped by aliens. She's got it into her head, she's being kidnapped by aliens every night and taken to the planet Neptune. Aliens, oh dear, yes, it says they come down about two o'clock every morning in this great big spacecraft and just whisk her off. She said three of them are just large blobs of jelly with a kind of pulsating nucleus inside, and the other two look like Gloria Hannaford, so it's... Uh... <laughs> Still, the main thing is how much it's perked her up. Put a real glow on her face. Isn't it funny? Plus, we could all do with a trip up there. What do you reckon? Mr Sweeney is actually describing what his mother said and how, they, how she describes these aliens. Three of them are large blobs of jelly with a pulsating nucleus inside, and the other two look like Gloria Hannaford. So, sort of ending it comically, light heartedly. So this is a very weird description, very detailed and and articulated very casually by Mister Sweeney, like it's the most normal thing in the world. Because I suppose in his and mind, then, yeah. in his mind, his mother is a bit stark, isn't she? She's a bit bonkers. And he so... does,
2: yeah. Vic, he gets a very funny look from Victor at this story. And of course, Victor. It's not the first time that Victor's responded to the mention of or to Gloria Honeyford, because I mean. I always yeah. seem to refer back to Series 1. Maybe that's just my my kind of thing. There, right. There's one bit in, in Return of the Speckled Band where we hear Victor shouting, oh, my God, no, from upstairs, and he's seen Gloria Hunniford on TV, and we think like something terrible oh, yeah. has happened. It's, it's, it's the episode with the Python.
1: That's a great recall, that. Yeah, um, I remember that now. That's a good bit of homework you've done there. That's a good little um, callback, especially that name, Gloria Hunniford, that's mentioned. She's one of those names that's mentioned. I remember it being mentioned in the Royal Family. Um, amongst other comments. Yeah,
2: I, I know from two things only. i never. I don't even know what she looks like, but she's mentioned a couple of times in um, in this and in the Thin Blue Line. One of oh,
1: the characters really? has
2: has an obsession with Gloria Haniford
1: Yeah, she does the holiday. Well, she's she was known for doing the sort of holiday programs, and she's been on. She's a panelist, and she's just a presenter, isn't she? Well, I don't know if you know, but yeah, she's just a presenter. She's been around. She's about eighty now. She's getting on a bit. Anyway, sorry. But yeah, this is the what Mr. Swain is saying there about his mother's experiences. We're sort of not really at this moment supposed to take it that seriously, but it will become, it will be highlighted again that there's something that's strange going on in, in the riverbank world and the way mr swaney casually just talks about it like it's nothing and also
2: that her, 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 it seems to have done his mom some good he, yeah he that's key her, 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 perked her up and put a glow on her face
1: yeah again from mr swaney's point of view if it's make whatever his mother is saying you know in and obviously he presumes she's just making up or or not quite all there if it's making her happy then so be it sort of thing you know
2: yeah um, and he's, he's always been willing to bend over backwards to to improve his mother's sort of state of mind, from sitting in the garden with a little <sighs> pond, like when she's fishing out the window and all yeah. that type of thing, he's very accommodating. He's very
1: yes, that's right. I mean, you know, it's not like he's it's not like he's put her in a home or anything. He's basically giving up his golden years to look after his mother, which is very sweet and very sad as well. Victor does blankly look out the window again, which is just funny. It's just so. I just, love, I just love those little moments. Anyway, the, the conversation ends with Mr. Swaney handing a mysterious bag to Victor. And as Mr. Sweeney exits, he just um, casually says, I better get down to Boots before the midday rush starts on the incontinence counter.
0: See you around, I expect.
2: Do they have an incontinence counter at Boots? It sounds, sounds quite a specialist counter. I've not heard of such a thing,
1: but I guess um, it's sort of that place. A place like Boots might be stereotyped for certain shoppers getting certain um personal things i don't know but uh <laughs> victor quite confused at this package uh, as he uh heads back indoors meanwhile uh, margaret picks up like a pamphlet that's i think it's just right through the door presumably right through the door anyway
2: Yes. Yeah, so well, mr swaney has just mentioned that um with the bag he's given us he thinks is the sort of stuff that victor is looking for and he mentions an advert in the parish newsletter. We're to assume that Margaret has just picked up the latest issue of the parish newsletter, and is having a, a little glance at
0: it. Yeah,
1: and we see uh, Victor reve- uh, revealing what's inside the bag, and it's um, a f- very funny shot of an artificial limb and corset strings and all sorts. And he can't quite believe what he's seeing, and nor can we. With why is he? What what is going on here?
0: What in the name of?
1: And there's a fearful call-out from from Margaret, isn't there? Victor! As he's reeling in the yet more randomness of what's put upon him, I suppose. And we get a little bit of an explanation now, don't we, from Margaret?
0: She rang here yesterday to see if we had any fundraising ideas for the church restoration. It was just before you got back from the hospital. I was speaking to her, and I put the phone down. I'm sure I did. Or. Did she think I was coming back to say so? <laughs> oh,
2: God. What is it? What's happened?
1: Great Renwick name, Mrs. Natwick.
2: Yeah, um, I noticed the similarity between Natwick and Renwick.
1: Yeah, Natwick. Maybe, I wonder who's got a Natalie in his family. Maybe. For, anyway, from the Women's Bright Hour, um, she had Brang yesterday, so we know that. I think we saw her on the phone, didn't we? As she, This is when Mrs. Walbridge was in the house as well. She'd rang about some fundraising ideas for the church, and I think Margaret had been speaking to her, and she thinks she put the phone down, but she does doubt herself, and she therefore thinks Mrs. Natwick may have been waiting on the receiver on the other end for her to come back with some more information. And this is where the penny drops, doesn't it, for Margaret? Victor doesn't quite understand as he I think he reads out the advert in this at this point doesn't he?
0: Attention ladies put those unwanted corsets and elasticated stockings to use now at Victor Meldrew's surgical support recycling. (laughs) Centre 19 Riverbank false arms, legs and other body parts also welcome if no reply, post them through letterbox.
2: Yes, and it's, it's all sort of verbatim the words that he'd yelled into the phone. Yeah, you have to so. really,
1: you have to really think about it because obviously, this is his sardonic rant from earlier, which I mean, it's just too silly for words. But I think this Mrs. Natwick has, ta- has taken this literally and recorded down this um, apparent advert from Victor.
0: Five thousand homes that will have gone after <laughs> Victor have
1: you done which explains why he's been handed random packages or donations of all sorts of what do what do what are they calling this corsets and and artificial limb clothing yeah they're, or... they're a lot
2: of art- artificial limbs that start to arrive and yeah i don't know what all these things are with straps and, and all that are but trusses oh. are the one thing that keeps coming up now in relation might... to the hernia
1: you might be able to explain this possible plot hole but i'm just trying to wrap my brains here for what they are now that lady handed the green bag before he ranted to mrs wallboys on the telephone well, with using the telephone to advertise himself as selling or taking in donations sorry mm-hmm. that was before he did that so yes how did that woman know
2: well i mean obviously the word had got around the neighborhood via margaret or mrs Walboys that obviously victor had this hernia condition so somebody out of the goodness of what they had has decided to give Victor this trust it just so happens that mrs. Warboys has done the same mm. so it's a bit of a coincidence maybe it stretches credulity a little bit but but yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's what's happened I don't again we don't know who that person was but presumably on the grapevine of the yeah. uh, the, old, the old ladies network it's it's got out there that Victor's got this condition and somebody has something that can help
1: yeah yeah that, that that basically explains it thank you very much later on uh, that night uh, slightly more tense and eerie notes are being played now you really are sort of starting to become a bit more invested in this episode now because there's a few strange things that have happened very subtle strange things um and margaret is just shutting up the shop turn off the lights and there's more corsets and straps and artificial limbs at the front door um, so they're getting more and more of this.
2: I don't know how you get an artificial limb through a litter box. That, that's one thing that I'd like to have explained.
1: Well, it's only like Victor um, in a couple of series back when he posts a load of litter through the neighbour's door just to get get his own back on them.
0: Is there any more crap you want to sling over people's
1: back Yeah, you're right. I don't know how, how that happened, but obviously made it made it happen. Yeah. Um, all these donations are chucked into the spare rooms. There's a there's a whole warehouse load of gear that they're looking at looking after now
2: i i was thinking after listening to your episode with with the uh, production designer in series four yeah i'd, I'd li- like to know how many prop warehouses that to clear out to get all these uh all these props to to, to fill this room because it looked like quite a collection
1: i know that's that's quite a um i mean they he, he basically said it sounds like there's like a one-stop shop for high, like there's like a hire company they use for a whole manner of props so for I don't know. They, they might have just sourced that from some medical retailer, and it's probably quite easy to get hold of. But there's an awful lot there, isn't there? I, I do like these rare shots of the spare bedroom. Have they only got one spare room? Because that used to be quite tidy and empty. I mean, Alfred stayed in it one one night. Other than that, we've had when they cleared the loft out, they put all their stuff in there, haven't they? Mm. A rare privileged shot of that room and I just yeah don't see enough of it as far as I'm concerned you sort of hear a, uh, a dog barking and the wind howling as, as Margaret leaves that room so it's still a bit eerie the attention's building up a little bit Victor then casually tells uh, Margaret what we know about what Mr. Sweeney said you know being kidnapped by aliens from the planet Neptune and he proceeds with the line must be good for a few air miles I don't know that's still an incentive on like credit cards and stuff getting air miles I mean you certainly can't use them right now you can't really not go anywhere but that brought well, quite a sharp uh, yeah. laughter
2: yeah i don't know it's it, it's it's actually been about 13 years since i've been on an international flight <laughs> is it really I've, I, haven't, I haven't done much travel in a very long time well you live in a,
1: uh, a lovely part of the world right really, you now very sunny and um plush you know on the coast i probably don't need to go anywhere it's very nice well
2: that's 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 true margaret's sort of very matter of fact with her or very, her reaction is very ordinary. It's like, yes, I dare say. Like, not not sort of taking it very seriously. Well, I
1: don't know um, if she's like, like just we, being open-minded.
2: Yeah, because she does say, we don't know really, do we, what what goes on. I mean, we can't, we, it doesn't make sense that we're alone in the universe.
1: And it's just as funny that Victor sort of summarises it, that how these super intelligent beings rushing across the solar system just to get a bassy old woman out of bed puts it into perspective as well which i thought was quite a funny line yeah but he does recount that what mr swain said put a real smile on you know on her face and um
2: and he, yeah he seems obviously he's been quite down um and he mentions he can't blame her for wanting to to escape hmm. where she is so yeah it's, it's almost there's an element of longing <laughs> to yeah. some extent in victor that i mean wish they could br- can't put a glow on his face
1: yeah he's half serious about them coming after him you know and um a little bit more um foreshadowing as they're going to bed or going to sleep the lights turn off and there's a shot of the the moon uh, behind the clouds followed by we can see like a black kitty cat walking along the pavement practically blinded by this immense light and it's meowing obviously and it's like a this very great synthesized keyboard sound which strikes a chord with me it's just just Very 1990s, this sound. Um, I think it's like a synthesized keyboard number. It's very great. I don't know what you felt when that was playing, but it's, it's quite a it just took me back to my childhood that kind of sound I don't know what it was I must have watched certain programs with yeah effects of like 80s stuff um 80s
2: 90s yeah very 80s um again going back to what I said about the introduction sequence to the to the episode it's kind of like the the low budget cheesy version of the soundtrack of 2001 the space odyssey yeah sort of opening
1: that might be what, what we were trying to get at I suppose
2: yeah, I'm pretty um, sure he would have been. This is it's like a sort of, yeah, as you say, a synthesized version of a trumpet fanfare, and it's a recurring theme that's gonna mm. be sort of recurring through the episode as well.
1: That piece of music, if you can call it that, is sort of deafening, really, compared in comparison to the cat meowing as it shooed away from this extraordinary light. And we don't know what this is at this stage, it's uh. We've already learned that there's allegedly been a um an alien capturing of Miss, Mr. Sereni's mother. Like an alien abduction. So I don't know if we're thinking that as we first watch this or not, but yeah, and that ends that scene, it's faded out.
2: Yeah, again, it's it's it extends that sort of theme of science fiction and uh strange happenings and the supernatural that's that's sort of slowly been building to through this episode yeah and i guess it's the launching point for the second half where where things really sort of seem to be getting out of hand yeah I think it, is,
1: it is a good place to stop i think um it's the ears kick things off a little bit we experience for the first time this peculiar mystery something that's is disrupting the neighborhood that's for sure so if we end it there thanks matt for joining thanks for listening we're going to be back again next week for part two. I'm sorry to make you wait a week. Um you, you will thank me for that because I just think three and a half, four hours is too much for anyone. Just said that exactly for the last episode. If you'd like to get in touch, as ever, just send a tweet, one foot in the pod, email one foot in the podcast at gmail.com. You can get in touch with Matt. What's your handle, Matt?
2: My Twitter handle is at GoalRush007. That's as in gold rush, but you drop the D. So Good it's G O L R U S H Zero zero seven because I'm a huge James Bond fan.
1: They've brought the Bond film forward by a whole week, haven't they, or something? Very kind of them.
2: Well, well, on on the account of things, they're still in the minus of about a year and four months from when they were originally supposed to release this film. So, uh, okay, pushing it forward one week, it's neither here nor there.
1: No, it's not really, is it? And I don't know whether to end this with your Meldrew Moan or leave it to next week do you want to leave it for the next episode yeah let's
2: let's let's push it to the next episode
1: thanks everyone for listening uh we'll be back next week cheers matt